All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is BJ, and I am uh, your pastor for this morning. It's my privilege to uh, bring you the message from God's Word. Uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different passages, but we'll be spending most of our time uh, working in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn there now to the book of Ephesians, if you're using one of the Bibles from the rack in front of you, uh, you'll see some page numbers up here on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would be glad if you would take that one home uh, to have as your own. Well, before we jump in, uh, I would like to pray for us and for our time together. Lord, we humbly ask that you would open up your word to us today. Lord, may your words uh, speak through me. Lord, may they not be my words, but yours. And God, may your spirit uh, open up our hearts to the message that you would have for us. Lord, we humbly ask that you would teach us, Lord, that you would lead us, and God, we're necessary. We pray that you would convict us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right before coming on staff here uh, at FCC, my wife and I planned a trip to go backpacking through the country of Zambia, uh, which is in Central uh, Africa, and it's actually where uh, my wife grew up as a child of missionaries. And so as we're making plans for this, uh, for this trip, uh, we, we were getting ready to buy our plane tickets, and uh, we realized, you know what, there's not really any reason to hurry back to the U.S., and we're going to be flying through London, so why don't we just stay for a few days? And so we planned a four-day layover in London. Well, we knew that by this point in the trip, uh, after spending five or six weeks backpacking, that we weren't going to want to spend a lot of money, and honestly, we weren't going to have a lot of money to spend, and so we wanted to find a cheap place to stay while we were in London. So we went onto one of those websites, you know, that has a listing of all the different hotels, and we, we scrolled down past the expensive places and scrolled a little bit further down and scrolled even a little bit further down. And Well, we finally came to the bottom of the list, okay? And we found a little bed and breakfast um, in an old neighborhood that had become home to both a large Orthodox Jewish community and more recently, a large gang. And so that made for kind of some interesting interactions back and forth and some fun pictures. But um, anyway, we found this particular bed and breakfast. And here it is in all of its glory. And uh, this, this bed and breakfast was literally the cheapest place to stay in London, way, way off the, the beaten path. What we learned later after we arrived that part of the way they were able to keep their prices so low is that they don't serve breakfast, <laughs> which makes perfect sense. Uh, makes perfect sense to us. A little false advertising there. But anyway, well, our first Sunday that we were there, uh, our, first, our first full day was a Sunday. And so we decided after trying to find some breakfast that we would go and find a little church where we could worship. And so after bumbling through this little grocery store that only sold foods with labels written in Hebrew, uh, we, we thought we were buying yogurt. We got out on the street, realized it was a tub of butter. And so uh, after we ate our butter, we, we walked down the street <laughs> And uh, we found this little church building. And uh, it's a beautiful building uh, built of stone. It was built somewhere around the year 1700. Now, what was even more amazing than the, than the actual building itself was uh, the group of people that met inside of that building. When we walked in, we were greeted by a diverse group of people that included a number of university students that had literally traveled from all around the world to come to London to study. There were students there from, uh, from China. There were students there from, from uh, several countries in Africa, Central and South America. They'd all come, and somehow they'd found this little church uh, to fellowship with. 
There were a number of, of older couples that had actually decades earlier immigrated from Eastern Europe um, and found their way into this church. There were, there were young families with kids and there were senior saints. There were people there of all different colors and dialects and, and different backgrounds, different social classes. There was even one couple that was probably in their 70s or 80s and they had just become Christians. And so here they were, they were brand new believers uh, in, in their 80s. It was really, really, really neat to meet uh, this group of people and, and, and just hear their stories. We ended up staying even after the worship service was over and they prayed for us and we got to hear the stories of, of where they had come from. Despite their great diversity, this group of people had one thing in common. And honestly, it was probably the only thing that they had in common their faith in Jesus. It was their faith in Jesus. You know, this experience sticks in my mind because we got to see a perfect example of how people from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life can be brought together around Jesus. This type of unity is described in Ephesians chapter two, verses 17 through 22. Ephesians was a letter written by the apostle Paul to a church we're a church, and so uh, this letter is written to us as well. And it was written for the sole purpose of reminding us what being a church is all about. And so I'm going to begin uh, in verse 17, and uh, we'll read and, and study. Starting in verse 17, it says, He, and that's Jesus, this passage is all about Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far, He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so Jesus came and brought us all together from near and from far and gave us access to God. You know, we come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different circumstances. Even as I look around the room this morning, I see different names and faces that remind me of the, of the places that we have come from, the stories that, that we bring into this room together. You know, for some of us, we have walked with God virtually our entire lives. That happens to be my case, and I might as well have just been born in my Sunday school room, and maybe there's some of you in the room uh, like that as well. You know, you, you were that kid that you came to church every Sunday. I mean, you had perfect attendance. You're in your little Sunday school room uh, memorizing your verses and putting those little gold stars up on the chart. I mean, you'd been there so many times. By the time you were in second and third grade, you might as well have a seminary degree. I mean, the, you know, the teacher opens up to the, the teacher calls the, the passage and man, you rifle through scripture. You're there before the other kids can even find the index. Okay, you were, you were like a little Bible expert. Some of us, some of us were saved in Sunday school when we were young. But others of us spent a good part of our lives far from God. And yet in his love, God has brought us all together so that we can all come near to him. The passage goes on in verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so we are no longer foreigners and aliens. We are no longer strangers, but we are now God's people. And we are being built together with Jesus as the cornerstone. He is the foundation and together we are being built together on him. 
There, this this uh, particular image of being built together with Christ as the cornerstone is seen throughout scripture. And, and I think of it like this. It's like each one of us is a brick, okay? Some different shapes and sizes of bricks, but we're, we're all bricks together. And uh, we're, we're being built on top of one another. We are being built together to be, as it says in this passage, a temple. Well, the purpose of the temple was to bring God glory. And so we as a church are being built together as individuals in order to bring God glory. Verse 22 really sums it all up. And it says, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are all being built together to make the church. And let me remind you, the church is not a building. The church is a body of believers, a group of people together who profess Christ as Lord. We have a lot of differences. Even in the room right now, as I look around, we have a lot of differences. But as the church, we are held together by Christ. And honestly, that's the only thing that we need to hold us together is Christ. Well, today and for the next three weeks, we are going to be taking a close look at what it means to be a church, how we are called to interact with one another, how we are called to grow and serve with one another, and how we are called by God to grow his church by teaching others about him. Now, if you're here as a guest, maybe this is your first or second time, let me give you permission right now to just sit back and listen in. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a church, and and we would love for you to overhear that, but we don't want you to feel any pressure. We don't want you to feel obligated. Just sit sit back and listen. We have some business that we need to take take, uh, together as a church. Well, today, specifically, we are going to look at our relationships with one another, and we're going to answer this important question. What does it mean to be devoted not only to Jesus, but also to his church? What does it look like to be all in? Well, I want to do this first by uh, contrasting two very different images. And the first is the image of a contract. Now, since most of us in the room are adults, a large part of our lives are dictated by contracts. Uh, most of us go to work, and so uh, we, we do a certain uh, amount of work, and in return, we get paid. I mean, that, that's what a contract is. Um, a contract governs the exchange of products and services. And so, so we work, and we get paid. And there, there, are, uh, there are contracts everywhere. Uh, we pay mortgages. That's a contract. We pay insurance. That's a contract. We go to the doctor and uh, receive care. We were in a contract. But I want to use a specific contract uh, this morning to illustrate uh, this idea. And since I look around and most of us are adults, uh, we probably have cell phones. I see a few cell phones actually right now. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, actually a kid down in Mosaic was, was talking to me about cell phones and such. And I knew that this sermon was coming. And she said, hey, did you have a cell phone when you were in high school? And I looked at her and said, who do you think I am? Zach Morris? I grew up in the, early, I grew up in the 90s. I mean, that's right. She didn't get it either. But um, <laughs> anyway, I told her when I was in high school, I didn't have a cell phone. My parents gave me a phone card. You know, one of those that like you have to dial 24 digits and then one and then the number. I still remember hiking to this gas station when my car broke down so that I could use my phone card to call home. Hopefully there's minutes on it. Um, anyway, most of us today have cell phones. And uh, so most of us have had the following experience. You know, you, you walk into the store, you uh, either want a new phone or because something happened to yours, uh, you need a new phone. 
So you walk in and you're trying to find just the right phone for what you need. And maybe you've got an upgrade, maybe you don't. And, you know, there's a sales associate there that's trying to, to sell you all the gadgets and accessories and stuff to go with it. Well, finally, you get what you need and you walk up to the counter and you take a deep breath because here you go. You're about ready to sign a two-year contract, probably in blood, so that in two years, you can come back with your phone, and it may even still work, but man, it's time to get a new phone. I am throwing this away. I'm getting a new phone. I am living the American dream right now, getting something I don't need, but um, <laughs> most of us, most of us uh, have had that experience, and so now you are in a contract, and the contract is very, very simple. You get to use your phone and they get your money. It's very simple. Well, let's say one day, uh, even though you're all paid up and everything's taken care of, you go to look something up on your phone, hopefully the Bible, and uh, it doesn't work. Oh, man. So you go to call Verizon or AT&T or whoever your carrier is to tell them that you can't look anything up, but there's no, there's no dial tone either. It's dead. Your, your phone doesn't work. And so you try everything you can, and let's say you go for two weeks without your phone working. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I might die. But so you go on for two weeks and then something comes in the mail. Your cell phone bill. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to pay your cell phone bill? No way. Not a chance. Go ahead and send the police. I am not going to pay that cell phone bill because they didn't do their part. Now, let's say the opposite happens. Let's say, uh, you know, maybe this month things are a little tight. Money's a little sparse, and so you can't pay your cell phone bill. And uh, let's say next month, things are even worse. Well, sooner or later, the inevitable happens, and you get shut off because you couldn't hold to the contract. A contract is cold and calculated. It simply states, if this, then this. Deal. But now let's contrast that with a covenant. A covenant is not an agreement. A covenant is a commitment. So we're going to look here at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, so you can flip over a few pages from where you were in, in chapter 2. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, uses this passage to tell us, to show us what a covenant relationship looks like. And so we're going to see a picture of covenant. Now, uh, there are actually three images in this passage that we'll see that are all kind of intertwined with one another. Uh, like I said before, Paul uses the image of, uh, of marriage to illustrate a covenant. And so you'll see the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife, but you'll also see uh, the image of a covenant relationship between Jesus and his church. And you'll see some pretty specific language in there as well. But there's actually a third image, and this is the one that I want us to really focus on this morning. And that is the covenant relationships between us, one another, as the church. So let's begin in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is the underlying foundation for the whole passage. Everyone submits to Christ. Christ is the head, Christ is at the top, and so all the rest of us, since we are below him, since he is Lord, we are called not only to submit to Christ, but to submit to one another because it's a level playing field. Well, let's continue on uh, in verse 22 as uh, verse 21 has set the stage. And this is where we get into the specific uh, marriage language. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, there's, there's the uh, church in Christ language, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, verse 25, husbands, it's your turns. Ready? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there are two words in this passage that I want us to take a, a close look at. We're going to drill down on these two words. The first is the word submit. Now, in the original Greek, this word submit meant to give up one's own right. So this was, this was the, the image of a voluntary servant. This isn't a slave. This isn't a, a doormat, somebody who has no rights, somebody who's worthless. This is someone who has great value but has given up. They have, they have, they have given up uh, their, their equal right and said, I am going to serve you. I am going to make myself a servant of you. I am going to hold you uh, higher than myself. Put one another before yourself. You know the, the golden rule? Well, um, in this case, we see the image of someone who's voluntarily putting someone else before themselves, a voluntary servant. And so it, it's this idea that they do it by choice, not by force, but by choice. We see a great illustration of this in the Gospels. When uh, Jesus is sitting around with his apostles and his apostles are saying, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to be great? Like, what do I have to do to be top dog? I, I want to be at the very top. And this is what Jesus says in response. He answers our question. And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must make himself a servant. So instead of trying to climb to the top of the ladder, you're actually climbing down the ladder and putting others before yourself. You're becoming a servant of someone else. You are, you're respecting them. And the second word that I want to look at here is the word love. Now, in English, we only have one word for love. So we have to get a lot of mileage out of that one word. I mean, on the one hand, I can say to my wife, honey, I love you and mean it with all of my heart. But then a few minutes later, I can walk into a gas station and say, hey, I love nachos. We have to get a lot of mileage out of that one word. I mean, nachos and my wife, very, very different. But um, fortunately, in Greek, there are actually four words for love. Four words for love. And they have four very different and distinct meanings. And the word used here is the highest form of love, the, the deepest kind of love, and that is agape love. Agape love is unconditional love. Love that is totally unselfish, not seeking its own satisfaction or even reciprocal affection. It is loving someone for their sake. Not expecting anything returned, but just loving for the sake of the other person. You know, we see in the second half of verse 25 where Jesus modeled this kind of unconditional love. When it says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Despite our inability to reciprocate his love, Jesus loved us and came in order to die in our place. So covenant is all about giving of oneself for the other person. We see that, that these words submit and love are actually very similar in meaning. That when it's, when it's all boiled down, it's all about giving of oneself for the other person, putting someone else before yourself. Now, I want you to imagine with me, kind of continue on the, the marriage image. I want you to imagine with me going to a wedding. Now, when I think of the high point of the wedding, when I think of, of what the whole wedding is about, the, the kind of the, the climax, the culmination of the wedding, 
my favorite part is not the cake. Some of you may think that I think with my stomach, but uh, actually, um, my favorite part is the vows. That's my favorite part. When the, the bride and the groom stand face to face and they say, I give myself to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. The bride and the groom are saying to each other, no matter what, regardless of the circumstances, we are in this together. If I land a great job and we get a bonus at the end of this year, honey, we are going on a cruise together. If I lose my job and money's tight this month, honey, we're gonna share a package of ramen noodles together. Covenant is all about a commitment to one another. Those vows, those vows are covenantal, not contractual. But imagine if they were. Imagine if wedding vows were contractual. I take you to be my spouse as long as you have a good job. Okay, well, I'll work hard on my job as long as every night you make dinner. Okay, well, I'll make dinner as long as you do the dishes. Fine, I'll do the dishes as long as... You you can see that that would not work. And honestly, if a wedding, if, if, if those were the vows, I don't know about you, but I'm not staying for a wedding like that. I'm going to stand up right in the middle of the vows. I'm going to march myself back to the gift table. I'm going to grab my toaster back and I'm out of here. I'm not staying for that wedding. A covenant is not if this, then this. A covenant is just, I will, no matter what, no matter what. And this is how God intends for us to interact with one another as the church, in covenant with one another. In fact, we see in Scripture a number of one another statements uh, that are made throughout the New Testament. And I want to put these up on the screen for us to look at here for a second. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. 17 times it says that we should love one another. Five times it says that we should serve one another, care for one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, be devoted to one another. These one another's are not contractual. They are covenantal. We don't read them so that we know how other people should treat us. We read them so that we know how we ought to treat others. And I know that it's easy to, to look at other people. It's, it's easy to keep score on everyone else and say, hey, that person isn't living out the one another's. When I walked in, I wasn't greeted. Somebody is, somebody's been judging me. It's, it's easy to look at other people and point the finger. It's easy to become bitter. We get frustrated because people aren't acting like mature Christians. Well, of course they aren't. People who are new to faith need some time to grow up. I mean, it's not like the moment somebody starts coming to church, they become some kind of green beret for Jesus. It takes time for people to grow and mature in their faith. They're like babies. It takes time for babies to grow up. Let me remind you as someone who has babies, emphasis on the plural, that babies are, they're pretty helpless. I mean, think about it. Right off the bat, they can't even digest their food themselves. Have you ever thought about that? You have to help them digest their food. So you're sitting there burping them. Come on, come on, kid, just let it go. Come on. And then finally they burp. Or babies don't really contribute much either. I mean, 
They're, they're pretty helpless. They don't really contribute. I'm still waiting for the day when one of my daughters walks up to me. I have a two-year-old and two uh, six-month-olds. I'm still waiting for the day that, that one of my daughters comes up to me and says, hey, Dad, I know you're about ready to pay the mortgage, and I just wanted to give you this money to help out. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to contribute. I know that we're all in this together, so, you know, here's, here's some money. Oh, by the way, Dad, thanks for burping me when I was older, too. The bottom line is this, that new believers, despite being immature and despite needing help, are part of the family. And we can't grow frustrated. We can't grow bitter with people if they take a little time to grow up. Because honestly, we were there once too. And if we're truly honest, we ourselves haven't arrived yet either. That's why we need to be patient with one another. That's why we need to love one another. When it comes to these one another's, our approach is not, I demand this of you, but rather our approach is, I will become this to you. Let me say that again. Our approach is not, I demand this of you. We don't go around keeping score on everyone else. Our approach is, I will become this to you. Being in covenant and saying, even, this, even if someone doesn't reciprocate these one another's back to me, I'm not just going to push away from the table and give up. Because we are in this together. I have committed myself to this body of believers. And I know that there will be days when you fall short. I know that there will be days when I fall short. But we are in covenant together. We have committed to walk together, to grow together in faith. And I am all in. You know, when I think about um, how I've seen this, this covenant played out, when I think about these relationships, I think back to about... Uh, about six and a half months ago, we were, we were eagerly expecting um, the birth of our twins. We still had about uh, seven or eight weeks to go. And all of a sudden, uh, Mary went into preterm labor. And so we rushed her off to the hospital and we, we got her up to, uh, up to the hospital in Champaign. And so uh, here I was at home with our daughter, Hannah, who was not yet two and had just started in that stage where she gets everything out which by the way, she's still in that stage. But um, so, so here I was at home with Hannah and I was, I was trying to take care of her and trying to get her back and forth to school. And, uh, you know, I still had to work here and the school year was starting soon for Club 305. And so I was trying to get ready here. And at the same time, I was trying to go up and visit uh, Mary up in the hospital. And I was driving back and forth and I was so worried and I wasn't really sleeping. And, you know, I don't think I ever verbalized it. But the people right around us could tell that, man, we needed help. And so our Grow Together group, I see a few members here to, uh, this morning. Our Grow Together group came around us. They supported us. They brought us meals. They brought us clothes. They brought us diapers. They, they set up a schedule where uh, different families would take Hannah for, for a few hours each day so that I would have a chance to go up and visit Mary. I still remember the day when uh, I heard a knock at the door and I opened up the door and there were two women standing on our front porch and they said, BJ, we've come over to clean your house. Now, apparently I look like I was a mess, but, um, <laughs> which may have been the case even if my wife wasn't in the hospital. But um, they came in and they washed dishes. They vacuumed the floor. They got down on their hands and knees and scrubbed places where, where Hannah had spilled her juice. It was a very, very humbling experience. And honestly, I don't know what we would have done without our group there. 
It was so easy to see how they were serving us. And they, they, they weren't expecting anything returned. Nobody was keeping score saying, hey, BJ, I watched your kid. Now you owe me one next Tuesday. They were just being the church. They were being the church. Now we believe that the only way to effectively be committed to one another like this is to join a local congregation as a member. Membership is more robust than just coming on a weekend in order to be fed because this isn't contractual. It's not the church does something for you and so you, know, you might throw a five in the offering plate or something. It's that, that, that's not the way it works. We are in covenant together. We cannot approach the church as consumers with a contract perspective. I mean, how can we covenant together if all we do is sit and come and we come and sit and listen and leave and walk out, each in our own little isolated spot? Life is too wide and too deep. We have to be willing to get messy. We have to be willing to let our lives intertwine with one another as we commit to one another, as we invest in one another. And we do that through being an active member of a church. Now, there's no explicit uh, verse in scripture that says you must go to a church and become a member. However, scripture does imply this by calling us into deep covenantal relationships together. And it also builds a strong case for membership by repeatedly defining clear boundaries of who is in the church and who is not yet a part of the church. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17, we see where it says that we should have confidence in our leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Therefore, members are those people who have not only covenanted with one another, but they've also covenanted to come under the leadership of those who are in, author of those who are in authority, of, of the leaders. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see a picture of how we who are a part of the body as members are to hold one another accountable in regards to issues of faith and particularly sin. But this is not the case for those who are outside the church. The Apostle Paul says that it is not my business to judge those outside the church, but those inside the church are to be held accountable. So we can see a clear distinction here that those who have become members are clearly inside the church. They have said, I am all in. I want to commit myself to Christ and to this body of believers under the authority of the leaders and in mutual accountability with one another. Now, as members, we have responsibilities to one another, not because we must, but because we choose to in covenant. We are voluntarily giving of ourselves to one another. And these responsibilities come out in the following specific ways, which come straight from our church's membership covenant. We are to pray for one another. When, when, when we see the church, that means one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to promote unity within the church, with, with one another. Not division, not factions, but unity together. We are to use our gifts to serve the church. God has gifted each one of us in amazing ways, in unique ways, and we are to use those gifts not to be selfish, but to share them in order to serve the church. We are to invite others into fellowship within the church. We are to financially support the ministries of the church. We are to invest in transparent relationships within the church. This is when we allow ourselves to intertwine, when, when we allow other people to really know us, to truly be known and to truly know others. That's where we find true community. That's where, that's where we find these covenant relationships. And it takes time and it takes effort and it takes sacrifice. 
But this is what we are called to. And then finally, we are to come under those who are in leadership of the church. Now, maybe you're a part of this church and up to this point, you've been in a contract with the church. Well, we want to invite you into a covenant. Here in a second, we're going to respond to this call uh, to covenant as we read it together from the screen. Now, maybe you've never made a commitment like this. Well, we want to give you a chance to become a member in covenant as we grow and serve together. Now, there is a formal process which includes a class called Focus on First, which will actually be offered next week. Uh, but in recognition that covenant is so much more than just attending a class and, you know, signing on the dotted line, the, the true commitment is to one another. And so we want to give you a chance this morning, if you would choose to, to, to become a member, to commit to the covenant that we have together. And we know that for others of you, uh, maybe you are already members of the church. In one way or another, you have already made a commitment to this body of believers. We want to give you a chance to reaffirm that commitment. So for you, this is, this is like a renewing of the vows. You are saying, from this day on forward, I am going to continue uh, to be committed to this body of believers. Maybe you're here today, and you aren't yet in a place where you can make a commitment like this. And you know what? That's fine. As I said earlier, we hope you've had a chance to just sit back and listen to what it means to be the church. Maybe you're here today and you would say, hey, I'm still checking out Jesus. That's great. That's awesome. If there's anything we can do to help you as you walk along uh, in your journey of faith, as, as hopefully you can turn uh, some questions into answers, let us know. We would love to help you. But as other people are affirming or reaffirming their commitment, don't feel like you have to join in the chant. Don't feel like you have to drink the Kool-Aid with the rest of us. We, we don't want this to be something that's forced because frankly, that would be contractual. So would you please stand together uh, with me now? We are going to read the membership covenant um, from the screen as a commitment to this church and to one another. If you want to renew your commitment to this church, or if you want to make a commitment for the first time, please read with me now. I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by developing a servant's heart. I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving regularly. Now, as we saw earlier in that list of one another's, one of the things that we are called to do is to pray for one another. And so here in a second, we're going to have some leaders at the front of the room. And if you have a need in your life, uh, we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. But in addition to, to the prayer that's going to be taking place up here in the front of the room, I would encourage you to pray for one another. Pray for the people around you. Pray for this body of believers. Pray that God would, would allow us to, to come together in a way like never before in order to bring him glory. Come forward if you have a need in your life.